For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Okay, a lot happening uh, paper-wise this morning in front of the examiner talks of asylum seekers will be forced to uh, asylum seekers will be forced to sleep on the streets if the government struggles to uh, get accommodation providers to take new arrivals from countries other than Ukraine. Um, now, it's getting harder and harder to find accommodation for non-Ukrainians. And I don't know why they're just saying that, because as we go into 2023, it'll become even harder to find accommodation for Ukrainians with hotels taking back their properties and what have you. And still uh, people coming into Ireland looking for uh, sanctuary and what have you. But what, what strikes me as quite ironic, actually, is that the headline, uh, asylum seekers will be forced to sleep on the streets, which was unfortunately the sad reality for many, many, and remains a sad reality for many, many people uh, in Ireland and, and from Ireland. Um, I often hear, and unfortunately, I think we got news this morning of another person uh, on the streets of Cork uh, who passed away. Uh, overcrowding is the reason they're putting down to that brawl uh, at City West. That's that's been closed now. I mean, one of, one of the reasons the examiner says that um, there's difficulty uh, finding accommodation is because of the protests outside centres providing accommodation to non-Ukrainian arrivals. So this would be international protection orders. And that was the issue uh, with regards to the men at uh, City West international protection orders. Um, So overcrowding is the cause of the brawl at the centre. Three men have been hospitalised following uh, that fight. And of course, video was was shared of that uh, quite extensively uh, over the past 48 hours. So they're saying if it wasn't overcrowded, if facilities were better, that people would get along and they wouldn't be they wouldn't be fighting. Um, you know, often we talk about attacks on taxi drivers and indeed, unfortunately, bus drivers. And there was a case settled yesterday that makes the court reports in the Echo this morning of a bus driver um, by the name of Patrick O'Brien who sued Boss Aaron um, because he was stabbed with a syringe. Yeah, literally doing his job, sitting in the cab, driving the bus, stabbed with a syringe by an assailant who boarded the bus in Cork City. He's been awarded €63,750 because it was proved that Bosseran failed in their duties to uh, provide Mr. O'Brien with a safe place of work. Um, Apparently, the assailant stabbed him with a syringe, grabbed a bag of money from the driver's cab, um, and uh, there was some back and forth in the court case, I think, about the screen or the protective screen whether it was open or closed, because the screen which protects him from passengers was open. Um, uh, but that actually didn't sway the judge in any way, shape or form. Um, I mean, like, you see, the, you know those screens. If you've been on a bus, you have those screens, and I understand that they're for the best will in the world. But it must be impossible uh, for drivers to communicate with people, because there are still screens in many places, which I find Okay, they're probably a public health necessity. At least they were at some stage. But they'd be quite annoying because you can't hear the person. The person can't hear you. And that would be the reason that bus drivers would give as to why the screen would have been open. I mean, in spite of it being open, you should not run the risk of being attacked when you're doing your job. So, unfortunately, um, uh, Mr. O'Brien then uh, had to uh, take time off work. Um, was back and forth to the, the doctor many times, was on sleeping medication, antidepressants. When he did return to work nearly a year after the event, he experienced anxiety and panic attacks. And he continues to experience difficulties, but to a lesser level. In fairness to him, the fact that he went back to work at all is a credit to him. As a story then of a woman who was before the courts, she was a credit union boss and she stole 875 thousand euro. Now, the judge said uh, it will be difficult for her in prison, but on, on, despite that, 
um, she has to go to jail for two years. Um, she apparently was taking a lot of the money to prop up her husband's business, which was a failing business. But over time, Anne Butterly stole 875,405 euro. Now, the credit union that she stole from had insurance. Uh, so, and actually, it actually says in the court reports that she also um, paid back compensation as well. But she was. A lot of different methods of getting the money, like she was getting authorised signatures on blank cheques. She was taking money from members' share accounts. Uh, There was unauthorised transactions on members' deposit accounts. And she uh, actually went and bought a vehicle for her husband uh, using credit union funds. So when you added it all up over time, €875,000, two years in jail. Um, Yesterday morning while we were on the air, we heard... Uh, of the man who was charged with the uh, killing um, of uh, Matthew Healy. And that makes the front pages of the paper stays. Dylan McGee, aged 30, from Churchfield. And they photograph him on the front of the Echo today with, with head down and a hoodie on. Uh, but he was before Cork District Court charged with murdering the 89-year-old patient at the Mercy. So hospital murder charges, the headline in the Echo. And the Sun this morning says, Man 30 on OAP hospital murder rap. Uh, and this refers back to the early hours of uh, Sunday morning uh, at the Mercy Hospital. Uh, the papers also have other court reports. Uh, a mother's love. A mother's love is always a mother's love. And in, in spite of the fact that her son smashed windows and doors, she still spoke up for him in court. Um, a woman who had the windows of her car and her front windows of her home smashed in by her own son. He also kicked the front door off the hinges. She was in court speaking on his behalf at sentencing. And like any mother, she can you can see the good in all family members because there's some good in all of us. And she says underneath, he's a good person. Um, and that was the story that made the court reports from uh, the Echo and the Examiners today. And also the papers talk of a man who has been in court uh, and out of court and been at work and out of work. Of course, it's uh, Enoch Barker, as they call him this morning. Enoch Knock, who's there? Not you again, because he went back to school. Uh, and there's a photograph of him locked outside the closed gates of his school yesterday. They call him the trans row teacher. Enoch Burst tw- Burke twice tried to get into school um, that he was sacked from. Uh, and he was there again yesterday. I think at one stage his dad actually dropped him off. So that makes a lot of the red tops today. If you're driving uh, and you're about to take a test... Be thankful that you're down in Cork. If, for instance, you can swing it, that your driving test is in Ballancolig, even better. Because it's got the highest pass rate in the country, according to the examiner this morning. The Ballancolig Test Centre in Cork has a pass rate of 75% for learner drivers. Why would that be so high if the lowest ones, which happen to be in Dublin, have a 38% pass rate? So 38% pretty bad in Dublin, uh, 75% pass rate for learner drivers in Ballancolic. Is it that the testers are kinder? <laughs> is it that the testers are more forgiving? Or is it that people over there in those suburbs of uh, the west of Ballancolic are just better drivers? But anyway... If you can at all swing it that you do your test in Bellancolly, you get a much better chance of, uh, of passing it. Don't even be talking to me about Pascal Donahoe. I just don't know what to make of this. It goes on and on and on. I know that you've got to be uh, squeaky clean in politics. Don't get me wrong on that. But uh, we're talking about all sorts of money for putting up posters, taking down posters. Ignorance is no defence. 
Sinn, F- Sinn Féin really giving them holly in the doll yesterday. Come out this morning now that Sinn Féin, uh, this is an online story, hasn't paid their 2016 bill for their election launch at the Royal Irish Academy. An invoice, apparently, a Royal Irish Academy invoice for the high-profile launch was never settled. <laughs> so this... Sinn Féin has an outstanding bill since 2016 uh, while they clatter away at Pascal Donoghue for the price of putting up and down posters. I know I'm making light of it. It's much more serious than that, but God give me strength. Irish Rail are saying that we're going to get some kind of a service back on board uh, trains. It sounds to me as if kind of it's kind of a cobbled together service. Um, Tommy Gould, of course, was talking about this yesterday and we've had no services on uh, the Dublin Cork train uh, for... <laughs> For many years now. I'd say we've been talking about this as long as we've been talking about the event centre. But Bus Aaron apparently is saying there was, um, what, are the, what are the words they use? Some kind of a limited, uh, some kind of a limited return of services. Uh, as to when, I don't know. They just, they just can't find anybody interested enough to, to take on the gig or the contract, which is unfortunate. Um, actually, I don't find many people, anytime I mention it on the air, texting me about the lack of services on trains. I, I mean, maybe you guys just are annoyed about it but don't text but also could it be could it be said that people have learned to adapt and maybe they just don't give a damn anymore whether there's water or you know coffee or a couple of pints or a glass of wine or a a dinner or a bowl of soup on the trains anymore maybe they've adapted and maybe COVID learned that lesson for many of us we just say okay we just adapt and move on we get our own bottle of water we bring our own sandwich we have our own wrap we pay less for it, you know. We don't get fleeced on the train. So maybe it's a difference like that. Hope we don't get fleeced at the Oscars. Although I, f- I, I really think, you know, without wanting to go out on a limb, I, I really, I, I hope um, that um, Banshees wins all of these Oscar nominations. There's nine of them in total. I mean, it's an incredible haul. Apparently Ireland has 14 nomination, nominations now for the world's biggest movie awards. The Oscars. The the other one uh, apparently has to do with uh, what's the name of that Irish film that's out that's also in for uh, um, uh, an Oscar. But I, I would find it hard just sitting here now to think that Banshees could beat All Quiet on the Western Front. I mean, it might as best film, but I think it will be a tall order. But we'll have to wait and see. It could well happen. Oh, and Colleen Kewen, isn't it? That's the other one that's came into my head. That's also in for a lot of Oscar nominations. We add them all up, it's 14. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Then UNESCO want to make Irish pubs world heritage sites. I love this story because publicans have applied to UNESCO to have Irish pubs recognised as special world heritage sites. Surely be to God, not all of them because they're not all pretty or they're not all historic, but some of them are. I mean, Dublin, unfortunately, has a lot more historic and old um, pubs than we do here in Cork. We have, we have a few, but I couldn't help but think that if, for instance, UNESCO were to give a world heritage status to a Cork pub, what would it be? What pub would it be, for instance? You know, would it be the Chateau on Patrick Street? Would it be Callanan's on George's Quay? Would it be the Castle Inn? Um, would it be what country pub would it be for instance that would deserve UNESCO World Heritage Sites text on that lads text 0868104106 yes would it be the Mutton Lane I mean I was in the Mutton Lane just at Christmas time I was a little early in town so I just popped in because I hadn't been in there in like 30 years and that pub is hundreds of years old and Benny McCabe has done a fantastic job protecting the heritage and the decor and the interior and exterior out of it so the Mutton Lane 
built in 1845. So what pub would you think? Text 0868104106. I love this story of the uh, girls footy coach, a fellow by the name of Dave Hewitt. He is now saying that homework should be banned from school. I've said this in the past, you should be doing all your work in school and bringing nothing home. And if you wanted to do extra work at home, it should be voluntary. Uh, but he's saying that he's genuinely concerned that homework is forcing girls, especially teenagers, to give up training, to give up matches because they have too much of a workload brought home from school. And he says getting out in the fresh air and training uh, without a phone in sight is good for your mental health. In fact, when you look at that story, there's also a kind of a related story making the papers this morning because young people are under serious pressure. And according to the Mail, they're saying that most of them, like nine, and t- nine out of ten young adults, fear that they will never own their own home in this country. And also, um, you know, ex- David Hewitt is right when he talks about exercise because the UK Times this morning says at least six minutes of intense exercise every day will sharpen your mind and keep your body more in trim. Now, the wags listening to this will say, would that mean sex for six minutes? As in, in te- I don't know anything about that. They're talking, they're talking about intense exercise, so whatever that might be. I'm assuming that it's you know, walking briskly rather than ambling uh, a trot. Maybe, um, you know, weights, something like that. But six minutes will make all the difference. Also, it'll keep your back straighter in later life. If we all have a later life, the doomsday clock. Anybody fascinated with the doomsday clock? I am, have been for years. Um, uh, not in a kind of a, a worry, overly worried way or a panicky way, but there was a stage about 20 to 25 years ago, and I'll come back to this as to when uh, things were a lot healthier, but at one stage in 1991, the doomsday clock was set at 17 minutes. So in 1991, everything must have been hunky-dory with the world. The doomsday clock is now set at 90 seconds to midnight. When it hits midnight, it won't matter what we do or think or go anymore. There will be no world. It could be because of climate change, global warming. It could be because of nuclear war. It could be because of Russia, Ukraine, America, and all of that kind of stuff. But it's at 90 seconds to midnight now. You know, it's been hovering at about two or three minutes for quite some time now. But when you stretch back along, and I just mentioned 1991 as an example, 17 minutes to midnight so it's a big, big difference. The doomsday clock, it's a fascinating thing. I may come back to that a little later on this morning. And if you're, fa- if you're thinking about buying an electric Ferrari, all will be well. You'll still have the roar of the engine, even though your Ferrari will be electric, because they are going to mount speakers on the back of it that will replicate the sound of the roaring Ferrari, even though it will be electric. Isn't that one of the big problems with electric cars that's going to be deemed as a danger, that you don't hear them coming? Like they're just like ghosts on the road. Not this Ferrari. They'll replace the engine roar with speakers, lads. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. I was just thinking about uh, Pascal Donahue and the issues going on in the doll as to whether or not it's just gonna they're going to move on or continue to turn the screws. So just a, a story. Uh, this is just an observation that I'm, I was making uh, some time back with regards to politicians. I was in, I was in a, a hotel uh, I don't know, it was maybe four or five years ago um, down in South Kerry uh, having dinner in uh, a restaurant. It was the, it was the, it was the, the, the restaurant area of, of a big hotel um, and uh, Pascal Donahue was there and he was having dinner and he was there with his family and they were all sitting around a the table. They weren't all that far away from me. They were, they were close enough for me to be able to hear uh, a part of a conversation that, you know, 
I thought was quite interesting because, um, and, and this is not in any way talking in any way, shape or form about, say, for instance, what is going on with the posters or election expenses. But what I observed on that night was that he got his bill um, and the bill arrived to the table and the waitress put it down and uh, he went, got himself organized to pay and, and read the bill. Um, and I overheard him then calling the waitress back. Um, and I, I kind of just didn't really take hold on. You know the way you think, okay, there's something wrong with the bill, someone's going to correct it. Uh, but what I heard him say to the waitress was, uh, sorry, we had a bottle of wine, but you didn't put the bottle of wine on the bill. Uh, and he asked her to take the receipt away and to put the bottle of wine on the bill so that he could pay for it. Uh, and I thought, wow, that's an amazing thing. Because I was just thinking, how many people would just let it go and just say, well, you know, my mistake, their mistake, uh, and they won't lose any sleep out of it, a big hotel, very busy and everything. But that was us thinking that maybe politicians have to be like that, you know, absolutely 100% squeaky clean in everything they do, that all the T's have to be crossed and that the I's have to be dotted uh, and that they cannot leave anything slide like that because they have to be accountable for everything. So she went away, uh, fixed the bill, put the bottle of wine on it, brought it back and he paid for everything. Um, and I just, I mean, I, 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 was, I was quite impressed at it, I have to say. I would like to think and... To be honest, I suppose I would have done something similar. I'd like to think I would, um, you know, but you've got to wonder how many people would. But certainly that was my experience of what I observed. It could have been maybe all politicians operate that way, that they just want to make sure that nothing and it can ever come back to hurt them. But they must always be wondering and looking around corners, wondering, is everything right? Is everything sorted? Anyway, it's just an observation. Text 0868104106. We got some good news updates. Remember a conversation yesterday with Regina on the air? She was telling us the story of her lovely dad, Kieran Murphy, uh, who was 72 hours on a trolley in CUH. Well, yesterday, later in the day, she says, uh, just an update on my lovely dad, Kieran Murphy. He eventually got a bed in the CUH after 72 long, grueling hours on a trolley. Uh, but thank you so much for your input and your help to get him onto a ward for hopefully what would be a full recovery. Can I also say he got a great kick out of the fact that, the, that Neil Prendival was talking about him on the radio. You brought a much welcome smile to our darling dad's face and we appreciate that. And I also appreciate you coming back, Regina, and giving us an update. So thank you to Regina. I'm glad that your dad eventually got sorted. It is totally unacceptable that anyone, particularly a senior citizen, will be 72 hours, uh, grueling hours on a trolley, but at least now he's in a ward in a bed and hopefully he'll make a 100% recovery. Yesterday, I uh, ran out of time just coming up to midnight to finish a conversation with Alice. Uh, and of course, Alice was telling us about a plot line in Fair City that was impacting on her and upsetting her because it had to do uh, with adoption. And we went through that uh, storyline in Fair City. And her story, of course, was that she, when she was young, had a child, had a daughter, who had to be, and she gave up for adoption, but tried to reconnect uh, years, years later and found that her daughter uh, did not want um, to reconnect. Uh, and she found that very upsetting. I think she was she was saying yesterday morning on air, um, worse to the effect that uh, losing a child to adoption uh, can actually be worse than losing a child to death. And I think it was at that point that we, we had to leave the conversation. Alice, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So How just, are you? just to finish on, that was the point you were making yesterday, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, I've been studying um, Joe Sol there for quite a long time now. Uh, he's an online uh, psychotherapist. and He has uh, specialised in this. Uh, he's adopted himself. So he comes from uh, this at both angles. 
And, you know, when I read that, it kind of gave me a relief. Because of no closure, is it? Because You have no closure. You have some closure with uh, death. Death, death, death is, is, you know... a funeral. It's a natural thing, I suppose. Not that I'd wish that on anybody. Don't get... Don't... Don't... Uh, you know, uh, I'm not preferring it. But with this, it's ongoing. It, it's, it's for life. You know, it's a kind of... Uh, I regard it as a life sentence. That you have this continuous loss of sadness. You know, your life, you know, our lives are tinged with sadness. No matter how well mm. and sort of happy we get on with our lives, mm. there is this thing out there. And that's that's the real tragedy of adoption. This, this connection. And, and, and I say the same for adopted people who have been rejected as well, by the way. I, I, I'm very acutely aware on both sides. I talk to... Uh, people online, you know, both adopters and mothers. Yes, I have a story, actually, I have a conversation in a while with a, a gentleman who just went through that, did trace his birth yeah. mother, and uh, without wanting to put too fine a point on it, she said, no, not interested. Yep, yeah. and there are reasons for that too, and that's, you know, that we try and persuade mothers to... Um, come out as What's the main reason? What's what what is a what is an acceptable reason for saying no to a child who finds you later in life? They find it too painful. They have got married to other people. They have big problems about telling their future, you know, their children, their married children, and they don't want to go down that road and relive it. They they kind of walked away, I suppose, and but isn't that very risky, though, making that call? Because would it not also be the case that the other sons and daughters might be delighted to know that they had a stepbrother or a stepsister? They usually are. They usually are. And there are sad stories on that, too. They usually are. We try and persuade the mothers, look, they're not going to give out to you. But some of them, the real unfortunate case is where... Uh, the mother hasn't told her present husband. I mean, that's that's a really, you know... And with all the years that have gone by, it's not something she could broach later in life. Like, it's something that would need to be said early, is it? Yes. It, 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 I, well, I think if you're getting married to somebody, it's sort of one of the things you should tell them, you know. Um, <laughs> but, they, you know, they're traumatised, you know. I mean, like, everybody's story is different. But I think they're kind of beginning to do that now right. and yeah. the, new, the new bill has impacted totally as you know the freedom of information the, the birth and information bill has totally impacted where the adopted person has now the right to all this information trying to persuade them to to get on board with that the mothers you know Yeah, I'd, I'd like to know if I were in that scenario if there was any medical history that I needed to be aware of, for instance. Exactly. But, but not on, only will they get medical information, they will get their names and addresses and stuff, you know. And they will get any information on file about the mother. And that's the fear of some of the mothers. They just can't deal with it, Neil. That, yeah. That's okay. the problem. I was lucky. I have support networks and, you know. But n there's a lot of mothers out there in rural Ireland who want to keep this secret. I suppose, I don't blame them at all. Uh, this secret has to be kept. They're too ashamed maybe to uh, take it on board, you know. And I think they're fearful waiting for the knock on the door, you know. I know, um, I know. And you know something? There are so many different storylines 
um, that could be, you know, talked about. Yeah. I, I couldn't help but think yesterday that adoption is a much better solution than, say, for instance, very, very extreme examples of horrific examples, of course, is what happened to baby John, say, for instance, the Kerry baby. Will we exactly. ever know? Will we? I, I, I drive past baby John's grave yeah. most weekends going through Carisavine. He's got, a, he's, yeah. got, he's got a grave and he's buried in a small yeah. little box. I think he'd be, would he be about 37, 38 years old now that he survived? You know, and, and I often, I'm constantly thinking, every time I drive by, why, why, what's that story about? What happened? Was it a child that was born to a young girl? Was it a child born out of wedlock? Was it an affair? Yeah. Was it, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it, it's shame, it's the shame of Ireland. You know, this is where we have brought people. It, it's our fault, society's fault, that that mother can never find closure, that it had to be done in secrecy. You know, there was a book, written long ago, Killeen, she was at Mary Leland, I think, wrote a book about this a long time ago. You might remember Mary Leland. Yeah, she was the Irish Times correspondent, yes, wasn't she? That's right. Yeah. And, you know, her book pointed out, you know, under every fence and Kerry or every ditch, there's a baby buried. And that that proves the secrecy of Ireland. And the Is that true, though? I mean, I know that years and years ago there were thing called, things called Killeens. Did you ever have a Killeen? That's, that's, that's what she was talking about that the secrecy of Ireland, you know, that uh, did they kill the babies? I don't know what they left to die and they were buried secretly in families, you know, because, Neil, go back to even, it was the worst thing that could happen you. I, I remember my mother said, it would be better if you had cancer and died than have this. And, th- like, that wasn't an unusual thing. It was the worst thing and the church just the church kind of facilitated that thinking. It was the worst thing that could happen yeah, to any yeah. family, especially churches in didn't in, in, back in the way back along. Churches wouldn't have been, wouldn't allow everybody to be buried in a graveyard or exactly. or indeed in a you, church. You remember yard. the cases where you know people. I think down here in the Stola Valley, um, you know this uh, woman died, and there was a big produce uh, to the Kerry people. They drove through the gates of a cemetery and buried her because the priest refused to bury her. She was an unmarried mother, you know. I mean, and was that was the reason why he wouldn't bury her, is it? Yep, yep, yeah. absolutely. Well, the Killeens, the Killeens would be dedicated plots of land that weren't consecrated ground where if a baby exactly. had died unbaptized, baby would be buried yeah. there. If somebody had yeah. died by their own hand to suicide, they would be buried yeah. there, um, you know. It's, yes. It, it was, it was it's, shocking it's, stuff. It's just, it, it's like that. That's what I think baby John is. You know, there's some mother out there. It's, I saw it there only recently on TV and they showed the grave. Again, they were doing the, you know, the thing with the uh, police, those corruption stories. And yeah. part three was the Kerry Babies case. So I remember being at that tribunal long ago, you know. Did you go? I did, yeah. My husband was a press photographer and we attended that, the tribunal. It was... I can't even believe today that that happened, that girl. And I remember all the protesters outside the courthouse and the tribunal. What she was put through was barbaric. In fact, all of the family members. I know it was about 84, I know, but like they were different. They were darker days. It it, it just tells you, you know, this country, you know, we we were very late in development. We were a very cruel country to people like that, even up to the 80s. I mean, the last mother and baby home died um, closed in the late 90s. 
we're not that long out of it. We're only about 20 years out of this. Yeah. So, you know, know, this is the way we treat it, unmarried mothers. I don't know when this thing changed, but it was appalling treatment what Joanne Hayes went through. It was, I'll never forget, I remember the judges coming in and out, uh, you know, the questions they asked her, really, uh, it was, uh, it it was an incredible story and it's still hard to believe that it happened mm, mm. and that's that's the thing about the Kerry babies but baby John's story like that that will never I, I, I know it's an active investigation I don't think they'll ever this is what I'm saying about the secrecy and the mothers yeah. you know I don't know what it's going to take for them to open up and admit but bringing the adopted person back into that family it will raise old wounds. True. That's, that's, True. that's True. like, I don't think anybody is rejecting anybody for other than hurt. And, you know, I, you know, I'm not claiming. And adopted people might feel the same. Adopted people have this loyalty to their adoptive parents and they don't want to hurt them. There are reasons on both sides, for sure they are. There are very good reasons on both sides. Listen. Nobody I didn't hear anything back. I didn't hear anything back from from RT or Fair City, but I did look at lots of different storylines. One of them, of course, features uh, the adoption story that prompted your call. But they've had other fairly powerful, heavy hitting storylines in the past, including murder and and kidnapping and gangsters and uh, gay relationships and domestic abuse. They had a storyline that was very interesting with regards to domestic abuse and it went on for months, but it was actually uh, Suzanne Doyle who was beating her husband behind. Uh, closed doors, yeah. you know, th- that would be the taboo subject of male domestic abuse. They, they've had rape storylines in, in Fair City. They've yeah. had bullying in the workplace and children being bullied in school. The more I hear about their storylines, the more I like the show, having not seen yeah. much of it, but uh, assuming that they're handling these topics in a, in a, in a responsible way, it's, it's pretty good storylines to be talked about. Well, that's why I watch it normally until it came to this storyline where I suppose I'm in the funny position that I know quite a bit about it and I suppose I can see all the flaws of how they're doing it wrong. You know, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing I I gotcha. in, our, I gotcha. in our business. And I'm actually shocked at the way they're handling this because it, it is off the wall. I was telling Seamus earlier, the storyline's now going checks and wills. It's gone, you know, it's totally off the wall. I mean, even if they were to do it, I would have imagined they should have got advice from the experts, maybe in Tussle or social workers. Mm, or, okay. You know, how do we handle... This seems to be that it's not real to them. Usually on subjects like that, I would imagine soap operas would get advice if they were doing a police story. Gotcha, I know, advice. yeah. Well, if, I, if, they, if they come back to me, well and good. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, I mean, I, I'm no glad they're handling it because it is brand new since the new bill. You know, it, it is very current. And I, I, I'm kind of delighted it's been handled, but I'm appalled at the way they're handling it. All right, okay, if, all right. If they would just sensitise this in a kind of a way that's actually believable. Okay. None of the, you know, the dialogue is real. I've never heard that sort of scenario, you know, where, where, where it's not how it's done, Need. That's not how it's done. Okay, do stay in touch, Alice. If I hear anything I back, well and good, but great to chat and uh, nice you to finish too. up our conversation and this morning. Take and listen, care. thank you so much. All right, thank calls on the way. Much. Text 0868 104 106 back after the break. <laughs> 
Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, so obviously there's EastEnders, there's Coronation Street, and then we have the Irish Coronation Street stroke EastEnders in the shape of Fair City. Paul, good morning. Good morning. Here's an interesting text for you. Absolute tripe. You'd see better acting in a kid's panto. I have seen some great actors on other shows, but when they appear in Fair City, they're dumbed down. It's a poor man's East Enders. I'd rather pull my, I'd rather rather have my eyes pulled out than watch it. The only time I'd watch it is if I'm waiting for someone else to come on, or if it was in someone else's house and I was forced to watch it. You're a fan, though. I am. As what I say to that person is, with all due respect, if you don't like it, don't watch it. Right. No one forcing you to watch it. There's lots of other stations out there. Yeah, and just, if you watched it from day one. Is, I have, more or less, yeah. And the thing to remember, of course, is this is a soap opera. It's not reality. Yes, it depicts certain scenarios that are happening in every community right across the country. But in reality, it's entertainment. That's what it's supposed to be. That's why it's on. Yeah. And the other thing, criticizing characters and all, whether you like them, there's some characters I don't like, but certainly the, pers- the people playing them, it's not. It's probably not their fault. It's the casting director maybe cast the wrong person for the role. Like, I, I wonder, I want, your accent isn't lost on me. You're, you're a dub, are you? Absolutely. Yeah, so maybe Dubliners. It's wonderful that only car people can hear my Dublin accent. <laughs> you, you, you think that, do you? <laughs> I've been told that. <laughs> Some people have mistaken me from being from all kinds of places. All right, well, maybe we're more astute <laughs> to accents, but Fair City maybe would be of more appeal to you because you're from Dublin. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when I was growing up, I grew up on Talco Road, the Reardons. But they're all, remember, the people, the actors are characters. That's their job. There was a and TV people. series in RT years ago, similar to it, called Talco Row. That's right. Some of the characters, some of the others, very young, yeah. but some of them are in Fair City. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, but that's their job. Like, there's no point in criticizing actors. These guys are trying to make a living, and people calling for people to be axed. That's you're putting them out of work. Yeah, a lot of the texts are quite interesting. One of them did say that. Stop complaining. Support our Irish actors. Yeah, well, like, I wouldn't agree with the, 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 the gentleman that now plays the character of Louis because I think the current guy is totally unbelievable for somebody like me who has watched it and seen, inverted commas, the real Louis. In other words, the guy who played him before and what he did and all. Oh, you mean they've replaced one ca- well, character with a different actor? Yeah, and um, <laughs> to me, this fella is unbelievable as the character. That's like Bobby Ewing stepping out of the shower in Dallas years ago. Yeah, I know. I remember that. Coming back for the day. No, I I don't know them, but I was looking. This all started, of course, because of the adoption storyline. And then I was looking at other storylines in the past. And they have dealt with some fairly heavy hitting topics Uh, extramarital affairs, a relationship with a priest, bullying, rape, murder, domestic abuse. And they do most of them, in my opinion, very, very well. And I, I mean, one of the, the act, one of the writers used to start in the program herself was a lady called Hilary Reynolds. And in my opinion, the episodes that she writes are always more meatier than, with the greatest respect to those others who are writing. So I find her episodes very... Uh, oh, you could have different people writing different episodes, could you? Yeah, yeah, to the best of my knowledge, yes. Okay, do you, okay just before I let you go, do you also watch EastEnders and Coronation Street? I watch Coronation Street. I do. I'm sure some of that is unbelievable as well. 
Like, I mean, but that's, they have to have kind of unbelievable and off the wall stuff in some of the things. But if they're, they're taking storylines that people are watching who've been impacted by, say, for instance, domestic abuse or rape, do they handle it properly? Well, thank God, from, from a personal perspective, I've never suffered at the hands of any of those things. So I don't really know. Uh, I wouldn't have any big complaints about how they, how they portray stories. All right. Okay, let me get some more text on it. Thank you, Paul. Continue. You're very and, welcome. Yeah, you've watched from. You've never missed missed an episode. Well, I wouldn't say that now, but I mean, I have been there since day one. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have missed very many. All right. How long is it on TV? You know, incidentally, it's over twenty five years. On okay. Okay. Nice one. I love Fair City. Always have. It's a great show. Don't watch it if you don't like it. I don't like any sport, but there's plenty to be on, and I don't complain. I just switch to another channel. Uh, um, I have watched it for years. I like watching it. It's Irish made, and it's nice to see Irish actors on Irish television. I think the main issue, though, somebody else says, I think the main issue is that soaps have gotten too predictable with their storylines. I used to watch Fair City, Home and Away, Coronation Street, EastEnders, but not anymore. I suppose streaming services have taken over from your regular TV. I don't think it should be axed, though. It's a bit unfair to the loyal fans of the show. If you don't like it, don't watch it. Well, I'm certainly not pushing any agenda here to have it axed. Far from it. I know that we were chatting about this on, on Facebook and what have you. Um, I'd rather, rather watch Paint Rise to somebody else. Is it still on television? And one final one. I'd love to know how much it costs to run this show between sets, props, wardrobes, and electricians, catering, actors' wages, uh, and private contractors. I read that some of the main actors took a case to the Work Relations Committee last year. I think that if these figures were made public, then the license fee payer would demand that it should be scrapped and the monies used to provide alternative shows suitable to the time slot. I don't know about that. Why would you, why would you scrap something that was home-produced only to import other stuff from overseas, which by and large could well be rubbish. The cost of filming an episode of Fair City apparently is €50,000. That figure was released in 2017, so it could be a lot more by then. Uh, they've done 198 episodes um, in any one calendar year, which is uh, incredible, um, with an average of €54,883 per episode, which means that Fair City costs, or at least it did in 2017, 10.86 million euro per year. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text in WhatsApp 086 8104 106 Gorks Red FM. Okay, just final few texts then on uh, Fair City. And this started, of course, because of the adoption plotline. That's what prompted uh, our calls from yesterday. Never even watched one full episode. The acting is atrocious. Uh, time for it to go. You couldn't beat Glen Row on a Sunday night at half past eight. That's when people will get the heebie-jeebies on Sunday night when they hear the SIG tune for Glen Row, remember? Um, it's as popular as ever, but how is Fair City still on? RT should make a new show like Another Love Hate. Oh my God, that was good, wasn't it? Love Hate. It's no love hate to somebody else. It's not on the level of EastEnders, but it's genuinely enjoyable. It holds a close spot to my heart and it has for years. I use it as a punishment at home. When the kids are argumentative, I make them sit down and watch 10 minutes of it. <laughs> Uh, don't even think about getting rid of it. No one was suggesting, uh, I think apart from a texter suggesting that it's time for it to go. I know the acting is bad, but I just can't help myself. It's like those Spanish daytime TV series um, that the Americans watch. Um, they're crap, but you always want to find out what happens next. Yeah, I know the American ones you're talking about. They're on every single day. 
and people hang on the next episode. Um, that used to be the way in the cinema years and years and years ago. You would have the main story, main film, but before it you'd have kind of small ones. Uh, and you had to go back to watch another film to get the next episode of the small one. Fair City should have been asked years ago. It's the biggest load of crap between the actors and the storyline and the expense. Uh, nobody's making anybody watch it. Switch to another channel. We all have preferences. Yeah, I think probably that sooner or later we will no longer have the kind of traditional television that we know now where you'll have no RTEs and you'll have no Virgin and you'll have no... BBC or ITV, everything would be on demand. I think that's the way it's ultimately going to go. So nobody would be forced to watch anything on live television. Back after 10, text 0868-104-106. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now, 086-8104-106, Red FM. People listening all over, and Raymond is listening in the United States. He says, I'm a fellow Corkman who owns the pub The Irishman in Huntington Beach, California. I listen to your show a few hours after everyone else at home while having my Barry's tea and marmalade on toast for breakfast. I'd love that. I'd gone too early in the morning to be having Barry's tea and marmalade on toast. Good for you. But he says, I'm shocked that you seem to get irritated with people about immigrants to Ireland. Seriously, nearly every time you read out about someone being charged for serious assaults and many other charges you're reading out, the name of a person who isn't Irish. You're a great man for statistics, so can you please tell me how many people per capita of their country of birth have been charged with a crime or imprisoned in the last five years in Ireland. It's not a simple way to sort... Is it not a simple way to sort out this argument? Yeah, it could well be possible to get that statistical information if it's been stored, and I'd certainly have a go uh, with regards to the COH. Uh, You you say that I get irritated. Um, I don't know know that it's irritated. Um, I just want balance, you know? I just don't want everybody having this big pylon against people coming into Ireland to work or to uh, be educated or come over to Uh, you know, go to college and different things like that, or indeed those that are coming as genuine refugees and asylum seekers. I just think that leads to hatred and that leads to uh, anger. It's about balance. I'm not stupid enough not to realise that there are issues with some individuals who are coming into Ireland. Of course, that is the case. But I'm quite sure that in America, you probably know that more than anybody uh, with regards to the amount of people who would have come into America and created and uh, engaged in criminal activity. But thanks for that, Ray. Um, enjoy the tea and the uh, uh, marmalade. I wonder, is it old-time Irish marmalade? It probably, probably is if you're an Irishman on the West Coast. Uh, while visiting home in Cork from California this summer, Lillian says, I had occasion to visit a relative in the Mercy Hospital, and that's very much in the news over the last few days because of the tragedy there. Um, so I had the occasion to visit a relative in the Mercy Hospital. While leaving on one of those occasions, I saw a young lady trying to throw herself into the river. I ran to her aid and talked her off the wall. She was on the wall. A security officer came along but seemed totally overwhelmed. I was shocked to hear why a young woman in such a vulnerable state was allowed to just walk out of the hospital and go directly to the river. I pray for her every day since. What happens in the hospitals at present has absolutely nothing to do with the staff. The blame lies with management. I'm heartbroken for Matthew Healy and his family in this unspeakable event at the twilight of his life. 
Sincere condolences to them, says Lillian Sidebottom, who is listening in California. Um, it's interesting uh, because the hospital is so close to the River Lee. It just is literally just across the road. But as I've been observing over the years, a lot of people come out of the hospital um, um, and sometimes they're all hooked up to drips and what have you. But they come out in their in their pyjamas and their house coats and stuff to have a fag or chat with friends or whatever. So I suppose the security guards never actually know 100% the reason why somebody is walking outside the door, unless you were to refuse access to the street for patients. And I, I don't know how that one would fly. Anyway, text 0868104106. And Enoch Burke is very much in the news again this morning because he's gone back to the school yet again today. I've been listening to your show and listening to your callers supporting Enoch Burke. They came out of their caves with their Stone Age views about genderism and homosexuality and my blood was boiling listening to them, says Tyg. It's all poor Enoch this, poor Enoch that. And they really need to cop themselves on. Um, the world is a changing place and they need to change with it or be left behind in their caves. I have no sympathy for Enoch. Uh, should God love him, he was asked to say a word and call his student they. Is that so hard? He really needs a reality check and stop wasting court time instead of stomping his feet because he doesn't want to say it or he and can't have it his way so he has a temper tantrum. He needs to grow up. He's one of those kind of people who likes to have an argument and act the victim. Nobody was holding him down, forcing him to change his views. He can keep his views. He just needed to call his student the way they wanted to be called. It's no big deal. He's making a massive big deal out of it. If he abided by the rules of the court, he perhaps would be teaching right now. Nobody's forcing anybody to do anything. All he needed to do was follow the order from the judge and to not be in contempt of court uh, and call this person whatever they wanted to be called. He brought this whole mess on himself. This boy is young, as in the student, and still discovering his body and learning about the world. Enoch should have known better. He tries to give cheek to the judge and the court. Uh, If you can't abide by the rules then you should spend time in jail. We really need to catch up with the real world these days. People are stuck in the Stone Age. The opinions of some of your callers was just downright disrespectful and disgusting. I hope Enoch learns his lesson and that he can't just make up the rules as he goes along. Ireland is changing whether you like it or not. Tag by email to neil at redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Now you've covered adoption stories before. I didn't find out until it was late in life and I tracked my mother down and asked who my father was. She wouldn't tell me. Her husband said to me that I was entitled to ask the question, but I wasn't entitled to the answer. This cut me to the core and I'm still reeling over it. Somebody who asked who my dad was or is. I don't want to talk on air of my name mentioned, but I can remember my father telling me of a woman in the parish having a baby in the 60s and she left it on a ditch where it was found dead the following morning by the local council workers. It came out soon after whose baby it was and the father was the local priest. Even though the mother and the priest are now dead, few people in the area know about the story as most people that knew about it didn't talk about it because of the shame of who the father was. And a final one for now. I adopted a little girl. She was only three weeks old and I've said to her all along, if she'd like to find her real mom, her answer is always the same. You are the only mom I want. I did say to her that it would make me very happy 
um, as I could say thank you to her for giving me her little baby. Uh, she's a beautiful girl. She's married now herself. But it's a big no-no from her to find her birth mum. It's sad, but that's how it is, Neil. I suppose their real mother is perhaps like a stranger to them, says Marie from Clon. On the subjects of tracking down or trying to find uh, your mum if you were adopted young or as a baby. Yesterday, just as it was coming off air around at a time, uh, and Liam got in touch. So I caught up with him yesterday afternoon uh, and I spoke to him. He was, as he said himself, rejected by his mother. Uh, not, of course, he, he was adopted as a baby, but later in life, um, he found out that he, he, was, he was adopted and he began trying to find his mother. Ultimately, he did. But we chatted yesterday afternoon and uh, uh, he began telling me that rejection is hard for both sides, right? It works both ways on the basis of it, right? Like, I mean, adopted children... We don't get a choice or not. You know, we, we've never had a choice of where we go. And okay. you were, you would have been born in the, uh, I'm just working out here, in the early 70s, is it? 1969. 69, okay, okay. And did anybody ever tell you about that time as to why your mother had to give you up? No. Well, I, I found out all this, Nile. it was... My, my, I have a short uh, birth cert, yeah, okay? Yeah. I don't have an official birth cert. I have a short birth cert. And on my short birth cert, I was born in Dublin, okay? I grew up until I was 49 years of age, believing I was born in Dublin. Believing you were Irish and born in Dublin. Was that not the yeah. case, though? Did you find out at some stage? I When, when I met Tusla had my meetings with Tusla and they brought in and they did a bit of tracing and they brought me in, they rang... And I had my meetings and they're making sure that I was mentally and physically okay for all the information that they were going to give me, yeah. which is understandable. It is. You know? it's, it's good. Yeah. So, and I went through everything. I had a great meeting with the girls down there. They gave me my um, whole information about where I was born, what age I was, or waste, the whole lot, the name and everything else with it. So she gave it to me and I looked at it and I said, you've got the wrong person here. And she said, why? I said, it says I was born in Southampton. And she said, yeah, you were born in Southampton. But I said, look, my, I brought my other birth cert with me. And I said, it says Dublin. She said, in, back in those days, if any child that came from overseas, they just put down Dublin. Honest. So, God between the, so, between the jigs and the reels, anyway, on that, I decided, look, that's fair enough. I got a load of information the name of my mother, the aunt, the father, unknown as usual. Yeah. Um, where my mo- my mother was from Northern Ireland, and she, I got found out why she went over to England. She went over to England to become a hairdresser and blah blah blah. On that, and then she became pregnant and couldn't raise a child on her own. Blah, couldn't come home to the usual Irish thing. I heard so, that. You, I I thought she was a Donegal woman. No, Liam. Yeah, Donegal. When I call Donegal, I shouldn't be saying that. No, just from the point of your clarity. So this would have been the back end of the 1960s. She would have had a very rural upbringing. Was it a case that when she was pregnant, she felt that she couldn't go back to her family in Donegal pregnant? Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. She couldn't go back, couldn't come back and whatever else with it. So she put me up for adoption. Um, I was adopted into Fabulous uh, family, absolutely amazing 
still alive. Absolutely. I don't want to go into ages, but That's they're quite yeah. elderly now and they are brilliant. They, they don't know that I've ever traced or anything like that because I didn't want to be upsetting anybody. But if you were born okay. in Southampton, um, were you brought to Ireland as a baby? I was brought by plane by a baby from Southampton to Cork without any birth cert, passports, anything. I was born on whatever month and I was back here within three weeks. And within the three weeks of arriving, where, where, were, you, where were you brought to in Cork? Um, the, what's the place over in, by man. Is it Be- is it, were you brought to Besbra as a baby? Bresbury, yeah, I was brought to Bresbury. And who would have organised um, that transfer from a hospital or whatever your scenario in Southampton I, to Bresbury? I asked that question and I was told by two slaves they adopted society. And that's a, and to be honest with you, I didn't go any further. That's fine, no, I was just curious. And then, and then taken away by shock, to be honest with you, with it, because it just blew me away completely. You know, I mean, you grew up 49 years of your life thinking that you were born in Dublin. The next thing, you're so, you were born in Southampton. That's yeah, and you also not. probably for a lot of your life had an Irish passport. Yeah, I had an Irish... I'll tell you a story about that one now in a second. It would be brilliant altogether. So, obviously, you were too young to remember any of this, but clearly your parents who adopted you, and as you said, brilliant parents and a great life, yeah. um, they, they adopted you from Besborough. From Bresbury, yep. I mean, to be honest with you, it was never discussed. Never, I've never discussed it with uh, any member of my family about Southampton or anything like that because, as I said, I chased it so late in life. As a, in life, I didn't want to be upsetting anyone. I know. Or I know. this is my this was my journey. I wanted to know and whatever else with it. So can we so, can we jump ahead then to when you had yeah. all this information and indeed information about your birth mother? Yeah. So anyway, with the birth murder, we got the trace of my birth murder. Uh, she's still living up in Donegal direction. So anyway, between the jigs and the reels, I won't go into her side of it. Uh, got the, we, we made an arrangement for a phone call. So you can imagine now I was like a child on Christmas Eve, the butterflies in the stomach, the whole lot. This is all exciting. I was really looking forward to it all week long and between the jigs and the reels of the whole thing was thank you very much I'm married now I have three or four kids, other kids I've no interest and that's it ah, but, but surely surely it was put in a kinder way than that it wasn't really to be honest with you um, she did ask me about my life she did in fairness to her what did uh, were my parents good to me um, was I happy and whatever else but didn't want to go down the road of upsetting her family and didn't want to be this is the way it is and move on she had, it. so it was her story from her earlier life which she wanted to remain secret that was it no one knew it absolutely nobody in her family knew it nothing at all this was coming now from Tusla itself because I didn't really get much information from my uh, biological um, mother. So when you were having the... But you did have a phone conversation with her. What did you say to her? And she said, you know, how are you? How is your life? Have you been happy? I I don't want to meet you. What did you say? Like, my whole... That whole conversation started off, like, I was so excited. It was like coming running downstairs, you're getting your first bike for Christmas and you're there beaming. 
on it and then you realise there's two punchers. Okay? Because that's where the conversation went. It went all, how's your family? How's your life been? What did you do? What are you doing? And the next thing, and I just, just asked her about her life and she said, I'm not going into my life situation with you. This will be the first and last conversation we have. Dada, and I was just blown away with it. That was it. And I literally didn't know what to do or say at that stage. You were speechless. 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 Okay. You know? I mean, and I, you know, in fairness, yeah. for the year after, I got a phone call from her again just to wish me happy birthday. And that was it. So she was thinking of you, in fairness. She was thinking, in fairness. And, and that's the other side of it is that, I mean, I have to be realistic. I got rejected, but I don't know what her circumstances are. And I think it's just very, not very selfish from anybody because no one knows either my circumstances. Yeah, in fairness, you're not judgmental. I mean, I'm I'm on the outside looking into this and I couldn't help yeah. but thinking that it was a very cold way to treat you, but she probably has reasons. I, I, I yes. You know, but, but, I mean, what, but what about your dad? Did you ask about your birth father? Um, she didn't want to go into it and Tuslis realistically couldn't find or trace anything about, about him. They did, did try and they couldn't. But you asked about that as well, who was birthed yeah. dad? Absolutely, you know, and which is, you know, I mean, I got out, it took me a while to get over it, it did, I got very upset about it, had to do a lot of talking, uh, my own, sorry, my own wife and kids were absolutely amazing towards all this, and helped me through all of it, but... Um, and why was it important to you? I just, it's like every, I, I, it's not, I can't say every, every, every doctor, for an adoptive child, it, it's, you want to know. Like we are, I for myself, I grew up thinking my mother was a princess, and that's what it is. You always think the best of of your biological parent, okay? Because you want to make it that. For myself, I always thought I was abandoned in a way, okay? In dealing with abandonment um, and stuff like that—that's that, a very hard thing to do. So you want closure. Always get closure. I, for myself, I needed closure. And I got closure, but wasn't a great closure. No, it wasn't. It was almost like abandonment again, wasn't it? But, yeah, but then at the same time, then, okay, I decided, out of this, for me to get proper closure, I decided I'm going to get a British passport because I'm entitled to it because it was 1969 I was born there. You know, I spent only three weeks there. So this is the best one you'll ever think here. I have two birth certs. I have an English birth cert and I have an Irish birth cert. Okay? <laughs> different Sorry. names are the same name. Different names, I suppose. Two, two different names on the birth cert. Okay? I've never so met one of you. I've never met one of you before. No. <laughs> so, you have my Irish birth cert, which I was born in Dublin, and I have my English birth cert, which I was born in England. So, I went away to find out to get my English birth passport a whole lot. If I kept my name, my English birth cert name, I would have had my English passport within two weeks. Okay? Yeah. So that means I would have had two different passports. Yeah, yeah. Two different names. So there's parts of the world I could have made a fortune on. <laughs> but for me to change that over, it took a year and a half because I said I want to give it, if my kids want to go to England to college or anything, they'll have 
Yeah, no, but I, I can't help feel that I would have taken the temptation of having two different passports with two different names. <laughs> oh, I did. I did actually did it once. I thought it'd be great fun to be going into one country with one passport and coming back out of the other country with another passport and saying, where the hell is this going to come from? So, uh, but look, I, I got closure on it. I, it is. It's a very. I felt very sorry for that young that lady on the phone today, but it is. I mean, she has to understand. For like, Alice was talking about the rejection of a daughter when she reached out years yeah. later. You so, were talking I mean, about the problem. similar with the mother, but yeah. did, did you get? But did you the get? The thing you have to understand, it, Neil, right? Is right. It was an adult, and I know it was different things. It was adults that gave us away. It wasn't us that gave them away. So we we hurt. We hurt badly. Yeah. Some people it doesn't hurt at all, but we hurt really badly of rejection. We've been rejected all our lives. That's the way I felt but all the, my life. But the phone call in the late forties didn't help that feeling either. But do you do you feel no. do you feel sorry for her? Do you understand? Do you forgive? I absolutely not really I I've forgiven it took me two and a half, nearly three years to forgive, and I have forgiven. And I understand what her life is, right? I don't understand what went on in her life, but I can understand. I think when I found out she married six months after she put me up for adoption, that hurt. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It hurt when she told me her, um, there was something else, and I can't remember what I was going to say there, but yeah. it, it, the small things hurt. Right, they did hurt, but you move on, and I just, I it, it can consume your life, absolutely can consume your life. But you have to be be the bigger person and say, look, I've got a wife, I've got kids, I've got a dog, I'm happy, and you move on. You have to get something out of it. But all I'm trying to say is like every well for myself, and I can't say every adopted child, we look at it at the state of being abandoned. No matter what, I know. On it, and that's the way we felt. I feel about it. You get closure, and I do feel sorry that that poor woman has been rejected by her daughter. But I mean, it doesn't work out. I mean, we can all look at the that television program, Long Lost Families, and whatever. Else. If you actually broke that down, I said it's around two percent in the world that works. You know yeah, I mean? that's that's it. You know, television television yeah. can whittle away all of the ones that don't work absolutely. and chase down absolutely. the ones that do. Did you get your medical history, I wonder? Did you get your no, medical Absolutely nothing. I wasn't um wouldn't uh, couldn't get it. Um I could got I got my birth cert and stuff like that because I was born in England. I was entitled to that. Did you ask her was there anything you needed to know about? Um I had to get I didn't get a chance and I had to ask Tusla and uh, she refused to give it to Tusla. Liam, Liam, oh my God, I just feel dreadful hearing about that. You know, it, so it, it, is, it, it is what it is, you know what I mean? Like, I have a great life. That's where I am now at the moment. And I, you have to feel I know, I know, I know, but people will be saying, listening to this, yeah, but you need to look at it through his birth mother's eyes. You don't know how she was feeling or what she went through or no. that she kept it quiet, Absolutely. all these. I understand all of that, but you're, you were, she gave birth to you, man. Yes, and I think the hardest part of about it, Dale, was finding out she married within six months. Yeah, yeah. 
and has other children now and didn't, you know. Do you feel, do you feel that she married quickly and forgot about you quickly, is it? Yeah, absolutely, you know. And it was just, I was a mistake, and bang, move on, and that's the whole thing. And look, these things happen, and whatever else with it, but I just don't think on either side, right? No one should reject either a parent, or a parent shouldn't reject the other side of it. There's always an in-between. There's always, the way it should be, a bit of pleasantry. It doesn't, you're not, I'm not saying that you go, oh, you're going to Hayfield Manor for dinner every Friday night. Just the odd phone call. Yeah, just a bit of politeness. When people reach out, that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. When people reach out to help and be nice, and that's the world we all should live in. Just be nice and reach out to each other. You well know? said, Liam, man. Well said. You sound to me as if you're a really nice man. I'd say you're a really nice husband and a super dad. Listen, look after yourself. Thanks for sharing the story. And uh, great chatting. Take care, man. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Very honest and open conversation yesterday afternoon with Liam. I was really hit by a lot of what he said, including when he said on behalf of the children, adults gave us away. We didn't give them away. We hurt all of our life as a consequence. And all of this started, of course, from a recent storyline in Fair City. To the phone lines we go. Maureen, good morning. Good morning. As, as I say, Thank it's a, it's a story. You you're welcome. It's a storyline in in Fair City, but of course, it has people talking about their own lives or children they gave up for adoption or those that were adopted as babies. Um, your own thoughts on that? Yeah, um, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, I'm listening to a lot of it in the last while, and Fair City has brought a lot of it out. And I totally agree with that guy in Fair City. I think it's a very well done. Uh, a piece of acting, I think it's fantastic and that man is after saying there makes a lot of sense, we've got to be honest about all this not all mothers was made give their children up and I know that for a fact from talking to a lot of people one woman in particular walked away from her daughter because she thought she had brain damage but she didn't wait around to see that her daughter was okay then that her daughter is doing fine in latter years, she wants to be her mother. It doesn't work like that. And then people that even are that her. even sounds like a storyline from a soap opera, doesn't yes. it? Yes. And and what that man is saying is adults give their children up. The children didn't give them up. I yeah. totally agree with him there. Yeah. And then they went away and they got surely when you give birth to another child, that you will have a flashback. Well, how is my son doing that I gave up? How is my daughter doing? Is she being treated okay? Is she okay out in the world? Surely your mind would think back to them things and you would think about that child and you'd come looking for her. Now, I do know there were some mothers did come looking for their children, not putting them all in the same category at all but a lot of mothers got married had other families and never bothered to look for their first child now I don't know if it was shame the circumstances but surely if you have feelings to keep one child you must be worried about the first if child you were very that, young, that, though, that if you were very young though but if you were very young in the, in the and this could be way way back the 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s yeah. even into the early 80s and you were sent to the likes of say Besbra or a mother and baby home or ended up in a Magdalene laundry a lot of the time yes. it was your family sent you there you were very young there was shame involved in well, it um, of course yeah you were and innocent you were naive 
Yeah, and I, I wouldn't put the Mags and Laundries in the same category as the mother and baby homes. A lot of the Mags and women that I know and that I was with didn't have children. So I wouldn't really put the Magdalene laundries into the same category that might have been put in after. You said when you contacted us first that you had a terrible life. I did have a terrible life. My, I was abused as a child. I'm not supposed to talk about it. Mm. You're supposed to keep it quiet. Yeah. This is what this country is about. Don't talk about that because it's got to do with your family. Did you have You're children? I do. I have two children. I have a daughter and a son. And my daughter was born in London in 1972. And I can assure you, I left Ireland with not one penny in my pocket. I was sleeping on the streets. I met her father. I got pregnant. He had a bit of a drink problem. And I said when I had my daughter, as long as I had a pram and something warm to go around her, nobody nobody was taking my child. But that was the early 1970s in London, foreign country, there big was, city. Well, you had no money. Yeah, but wait a second, you it had a baby, you had a baby in a pram. Yeah. I lived it. I lived that. You're going around with a child in a pram, you have nowhere to live. But I was going to ask you, where did, where did you then live with your baby? Like, the I, in slept, a- I slept in a park one night. I slept in doorways. But I kept my child... I got up the next morning, I went into Caps and begged for a sip of hot water to put into her bottle. Yeah, I mean, there is ways. Now, I'm not saying that for some women, I don't get me wrong on this. So you push the pram around all day, begging for hot water to heat the bottle or to heat milk in cafes, and slept in park benches with the child in the buggy in the pram next to you? Yes. Yes, I did, and I went to the Irish Centre in Camden Town, and I said, look it, I can't keep this up. I said, my health is breaking down, and, I, and they even said to me, well, you know, we can get your child adopted for you, and I said, no, you won't. Right. How old were you? I'm asking you, for, I was 18, 18 years of age after coming out of a magazine laundry with not one penny in my pocket, and left homeless, because I said, now my book is coming out in the 1st of April, I'd like to read and that. I, yeah, I'm telling my story, and nobody. I'm 70 years of age now, and my story is going to be out there, and I'm going to be happy with that. The people know the truth. I was on Ireland's dirty laundries. Everything has been proven. I'm not telling any lies. Not, to, not disputing one, any part of your story. You're telling it from from the heart. No, no, I know that. You, well, no, I know that. I'm just. I'm just saying that if you speak out about child abuse in this country, especially when it's family, your character will be just ripped apart and you're not supposed to tell your story. So your story will be in the book and and I'm looking forward to reading that. Yeah, The Girl in the Tunnel is the name of it. So you were sent to a Magdalene Laundry up the country, is it? Yeah, I was sent to a Magdalene Laundry down in New Ross. Okay. And I was supposed to go to school. And I do believe, in all fairness, and I always like to get this part through, I do believe that the nun here in Carlo was a very good nun, and I think she meant very well for me when she sent me to New Ross. She was expecting me to go to St. Aidan's and get educated, and I'll tell you how I know. She covered my books, and she gave me some copy little copies that I could write on. And she said, Maureen, get your education and come back to Carlo and I'll meet up with you. And how old were you? 
I was only 12. Okay, and the Magdalene, what was that like for a 12-year-old? Horrible. It was the most cruelest thing that you could ever do to anybody. You're in among these elderly women. God loves them, not their fault. But half of them, I'd say, was very, very confused in life. Maybe some of the poor creators had children and their children was taken off of them. I don't know. But the majority of Magdalene women that I met when we set out on a journey to get justice, a lot of them didn't have children. They were in all their lives, were they? A lot of them would have been in there most of their lives. And there's some of them still in, in, in the nuns is looking after them because they can't cope with the outside world. Yeah, I know. And what did they do all day, day in, day out? What did you do as a child when you oh, got a little older? You walked, you got up out of your bed very, very early in the morning and you done corridors and you done a lot of cleaning. Then you went to your mass, then you came out, you had your breakfast, and then you went to work till five o'clock. After five o'clock in the evening, you went into recreation after your tea. You went in recreation while you were making rosary beads, knitting iron sweaters, doing other stuff. The rosary beads was mine. And if there was an order in, you had to get so many rosary beads out in that evening. You weren't paid for any of that work, incidentally. No, we were not paid. We never got paid. You were just and if we did, where's the proof? Bed and board, was it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Did you feel as and a I child that this was school? What? Yes, yeah, because when when the men sometimes the nuns would take me down. That's why my book is called. In the girl in the tunnel. When it come to the anyone was coming into the laundry, I was taken away and hidden in the tunnel until them people were gone. Why? Because I was shouldn't have been in the magazine laundry. I was only a child. You were too young. I was too young. Sounds like slave labour to me. Unpaid slave labour. Did you feel of as course. if you were serving some kind of a sentence? Yes, I did. I was paying the, the sins of the father. I paid the price. And what, how, how old were you when you came out of the Magdalene? I was 16. I was trafficked from three different places. And I was 16. And I was given five euros above in Dublin, or five pounds, sorry, five pounds to go to Carlo. No home. I had no home to go to. I was never allowed back into the home again. Don't forget, I told on my stepfather. Yeah. So I wasn't welcome there anymore. So I was left homeless. I worked in Carlow for a little while and then I headed off to England. Okay. And you and met... And I stayed in England for 30 years. 30 years. So that brings us back to London um, and the Irish Centre trying to help you because you were sleeping on park benches and pushing the child around yes. in a pram and begging in cafes day yes. in, day out. For how long? And I, to be quite honest, it went on for quite some time, I'd say months, but... At the exact time, I wouldn't remember now. But well, you, you must have been unsafe on the streets at night. I mean, you must have been of harassed. Of course at I night. was. Of course. My brother, I got in touch with my brother. I found him and he had a van. And what we were able to do was take the part of the pram off and push it into the back of the van. And I'd sleep in the back of the van with the child. I'd done that for a while as well. I'd done everything to survive. And where was the dad? Where was the dad of your child? Well, unfortunately, he had a drink problem and wasn't too interested. His poor mind, he came from Northern Ireland, came from very troubled background and he had a drink problem. I'll just leave it at that. And what did you do for money? What did you do for money? Was there a welfare payment or anything? I didn't know nothing about it, you see. I did not know anything like that. It was the Irish Centre that said to me, you know, you can get help. 
And I kept looking at him and I said, well, do you know who could help me? And she said, yes, she says, we'll get you in on the social welfare, she said. And I said, what's that? And she explained to me, she says, we'll get you some help, she said, to rear your daughter and you'll have to stay in a short stay accommodation. Did That's things improve then when you got accommodation? Yes, yes. Yeah, it was horrible, horrible place to stay. It was very rough, terrible things. When I didn't know nothing about drugs or anything, and a lot of them was on drugs, so it was really scary place to stay. But look, at, I was in a room, I was in a bed, I was warm. I got on the council list, and I next minute I got a council flat. Was there any times in those early years or early days that you felt that you couldn't hold on to your daughter? No, I would never give up. No. Did anybody try and no. take her? Did social services say that in the old days you'd yes, have been called an unfit mother? Do you remember that term? Uh, of course. Yeah, well, there were no, I would have been strong enough. If, no way was anyone taking my child. No way was that going to happen. But look, I didn't ring you up to talk Does about she know? myself. Ring I know, I'm, that's just, I know, it's that's just the way the conversation goes. But just finally, yeah. d- d- did you tell your daughter the story of her early life? Oh, I did. I did. I told her. Yeah, she knows. I don't want anyone else coming back with anything. I tell my children the truth. They and how did she me. respond to the story and the struggles of your your early life with her? Well, look at what, what do you do? You have to get up and you have to get on with life. You have to do the but best. But you must you be can. immensely proud of you. They are. Yes, both of my children are very proud of me, and thank God for that. Okay. Okay. And but what I really rang up was about okay. someone passed remarks on your radio that adoption was a lot worse than a child dying, and I'm speaking on Anne O'Gorman's behalf, a lovely, dignified, beautiful woman. She's so lovely. Yeah, I'll I've talk to her later. Yeah, yeah, I'll talk to her later. Yeah, she's a gorgeous woman. And her, all of that woman wants, she said, and she told me one day, Maureen, I want nothing. All as I want, she said, is a little mark from my daughter's grave. That woman never knew what her child was like, what it looked like, what it was going to. Should I often think back how well would she have done in but, life if she had a chance? Okay, but you, you did, know, but you, but you did say that mothers come back in later life looking to cash in after their child's been reared. That's kind of yes, a hurtful thing yes. to say. No, I don't think it's a hurtful thing to say. I think it's very, very true. And I've been talking to a lot of people that have been adopted and they've said the very same thing. They said, I don't want to know them. They're only coming back in to cash in on what they, their decision was. Now, I'm not saying all mothers. Don't okay. get me wrong. I'm not saying them all. Okay. Okay. Does, that does not go down for them all. There is genuine mothers there that had no other cho- choice that was very, very young and did not know and had no other choice or no help from nobody. You see, it's, a, it's an amazing story. If the vulnerable and those that need help the most get a roof over their head and somewhere to yes. live, their life can change dramatically. Change. Give Correct. someone somewhere Correct. to live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just, that, just give them that little help, little yeah. bit of fascinating help. Fascinating story. And, I, and their lives can change so much. Fascinating story. Yeah. Okay, Maureen, I'm looking yeah. forward to the book, The Girl in the Tunnel. You're saying it's out in April. Thank you, yes. Okay, yeah, I'm looking it's forward. It's out the 1st of April. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you much. so much. Cheers. Lectures, Take care. Take lectures. care. Just Bye. actually moving from, uh, you know, that story, which was the story that started up the country and went to London, back on to, into Side. I've got Catherine Coffey O'Brien by phone. And I've spoken to Catherine numerous times in the past. She had a son at, at the age of 17 in Besbra. Catherine, good morning. Good 
Good morning, can you hear me? I can, girl. That's a fascinating story of Maureen's early life, isn't it? I know Maureen very well. She's a lady. My um God. I'd, I'd look, um, being honest with you, um, there's enough, there's multi-layers in all of this. Um, no one ever addresses about um, the underage girls that were trafficked through these places from one institution to another. Um, an awful lot of, there's a social class system as well in the modern baby homes. It's not talked about. Girls, and it's not caused divisions, but there's girls that were put in there privately and their parents paid for them and they got very well looked after. They did, and I but don't believe they had to do any of the serious, difficult, oh, backbreaking no. we, work. We, clean, we cleaned up after them. Yeah. The Calvin girls. Yeah. Now, I don't say that with resentment, but I call it like I see it. Um, when it comes down to it, um, the, I would both respect the adoptees' rights for privacy and the birth mother's rights for privacy. Um, when it comes down to it, it was... Well, yesterday, um, yesterday we had a mother who uh, reached out to a daughter. The daughter didn't want to know. And then this morning I was chatting with a chap who reached out to his mother and his mother didn't want to know. Well, you see, look, there's two sides that kind. I'll be honest about it. I know that part mother as well, and I know that she was on the collaborative farm for the mother and baby inquiry. She could have, she could have made a dent of a difference when it came to the underprivileged, the underprivileged mothers. Well, I, I don't know about any of the other well. stories, or the other strands to the stories. You're just talking about people who do try and get in touch, mothers with, and, and, and perhaps fathers as well. You know, you mustn't forget fathers in this case. In the case of um, the chap just a while ago, he never found out who his father was because his birth mother wouldn't tell him. Look, I will be very forthright here with you. I can only speak of my own lived experience I was born in a modern baby home in England. I have an older sister. She's adopted, half-sister. Um, I was in a lot of institutions because my mother was in institutions while I was a child. Yeah. I Oh, yeah, to correct that, I didn't have my child in Besbra. I ran away. You, oh, that's, oh, that's, that's right. You had your son at 17, but you were in Besbra and ran away with another girl, didn't you? Yes, I did. And I felt guilt for a long, long time, because I'd left other girls above there. There was an 11-year-old above there. 11 years of age. Did she, did she give consent? How, wh- where, was, where was the 11-year-old living? In with us. And she was pregnant. In Besbra? Yeah. 11? 11. I said this already. Nobody, nobody came to see that child. The social worker, nothing. She clung to me like Velcro. And she look back at that now, and I say, and I, I say it out straight. I'm not close. She said, "My dad keeps at me. He keeps at me." She was pregnant eleven at eleven. Yeah, but this has been going on for decades. But nobody. Uh, but surely, that. but surely there would have been a very serious guard investigation behind that. Listen, there were girls above there that were raped, raped by their, raped by family members, brothers, fathers, stepfathers. Do you honestly think it's very easy for a bot mother to sit across the table and say to the Zaptee, uh, when you ask about the father, well, how am I going to do this? Oh, that's right. My fa- your grandfather is your father. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. God almighty, there's so much to this, isn't there? So at the end of the day, I will never apologize for being protective towards my friends that are birth mothers, and I'll always respect the adoptee's privacy and the birth mother's privacy. 
but you have to find your own middle ground and you have to use an ethical approach. And when, when where did you give birth then? Oh, I gave birth in Kerry General. It was the forceps delivery and I had a nun at the end of the bed telling me that if I kept my legs closed, I wouldn't have ended up like this. We talking about the 60s here, 70s? No, no, the 80s. The and 80s. Then I two nuns come up. I two nuns come up the following morning after I had the child and tell me, give me a card. It was a £100 check in it and said, you need a rest, we'll take the baby. And I screamed and I said, no. The nurse took the baby down to the nursery and the nurse said, come up to me afterwards and she says, I knew what their game was. She, ca- she protected the baby the nurse did? Yeah, she came up afterwards and she says, I knew what their game was. And where would the baby have gone, do you think? The baby was a boy, and I was told from day one there was a gender thing above there as well. If I'd had a boy, they had a, a lovely a mother and father from family. If I had a girl, she'd end up in the same institution I was raised in. Why do they want a boy, Catherine? Boys were in their eyes were more valuable, I suppose, you know? I'm sure that's describing trafficking, like, for what? More they valuable as a, as a worker or. A, yeah, they trafficked underage girls they trafficked girls they trafficked babies vulnerable girls that came out of other institutions that were molested and raped were put into these places and upper class girls were put in there to hide to shame to, to, no, to cover things up but I'd say to girls I'd say, I'd say girls from all walks of life uh, were would have been the subject of rape, sexual abuse, and assault. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd be honest about it. Um, there was another unit above there, and it held um, it held married women uh, that were above down pregnant. And do you ever do you, do you do you do you often think about that little eleven year old pregnant girl? Do you often wonder what became of her? Every day, I went to the old street, I was only up in Besbury yesterday. And the first time ever the shutters were out, uh, were off the reception rooms, so I, I had to have a look in. And one of the reception rooms is like the day I, I walked into it. But, to answer your question, their, all their faces are burnt in to my mind. My house name was Jane. I remember every one of their house names. And what? What? And tell us a little bit about your son after you gave birth. My son is absolutely fine. I I went and I uh, married his father. They weren't getting my child. I was uh, I was raised in the system. My mother was raised in the system. I had an aunt who died in industrial school. My uncles were all in Arcade and Upton or Letterfrack. I know they weren't getting another generation of my family. Amazing. But it was Powerful. easier said than done. Yeah. We paid in other ways. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes down to us, like, um, what, do you, what, you, it, what do you make? Of, what do you make of the possibility that they'll build on the land in Besborough finally, and you know the worry of what may be beneath the soil? No, the, look, we go into court. It's as simple as that. We have no problem. We followed the letter of the planning laws here. We have had five. We've had put in five objections. We're only convent girls. So without Mary Constantine and our legal team, 
we would have been lost. And, but, and, and what do you think is beneath the soil? Have you any thoughts on what that? What do you think is underneath there? I, do, I don't know how. I don't know to be honest with you how many or. Well, I'll tell who. you what. All right, the nuns were very structured, and certainly for people, you see, it's great for people to be talking about things when they weren't actually in there. So I give you, the nuns were always very structured. You got up at a certain time, you went to the certain you are, time. Listen, I'm just curious, Catherine, are you, are you under pressure? Would you be free for five minutes after 11? Yeah. Just to finish this conversation. I don't want to cut it short, you see. I want to finish properly. So if you can hold on, we'll come back just after 11 this morning. You can text 0868104106. Uh, pick up the phone on 0818104106. As I say, back after 11. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show All of this started um, with our conversation yesterday about an adoption storyline in Fair City I don't want to hold Catherine Coffey O'Brien any longer because I know she's got other appointments this morning but I wanted to finish the conversation Catherine you Hello Thanks You just mentioned there just when we stopped before 11 that the no, we were asked, I was asking you about the site at Besborough and you said the nuns were very structured um, what do they you mean by that? always very structured, and I'll tell you why. I have, uh, myself and Anna O'Gorman, Philly, there's, there's a load of us. You see, we have an unfair advantage, because we knew the internal mechanisms, because we were only the convent girls. So we knew the internal mechanisms of the institutions. I this accounts. Now, I'm just going to state a couple of facts here for you. There's over 900 plus souls above there in that children's burial. I had a figure of 859 unaccounted no, for there's babies. There's over 900. We have. To, we have okay, to, no, I'm not disagreeing with you. No, yeah. that's a new figure there's for me. That's eight, uh, you asked me, and I'm telling you, there's 856 registered deaths. And for the general public to know, and I say this with the greatest of sensitivity, stillborns weren't counted. Weren't. Right? Mm. Now, you asked me what we find above there. Well, it's going back as far as the 40s when the first inspection of Besborough. Besborough was the biggest mother and baby institution in Ireland. So it's going back as far as the 40s. Now, my and my, I've been consistent in all of this. And we have no problem going into court if this developer appeals uh, the decision. We have done five objections already. We continue. They will appeal the decision. The company intends to appeal the decision well, to Embarkland. That's, that's the beauty of a democracy. Okay, okay. And O'Gorman, had, along with many more, had a baby girl in, in Besbra. The baby girl died Evelyn. in Besbra and is buried in Besbra. You can talk to her and she'll tell you her own yeah, I will. story. I will. We have women, right, we have a woman that witnessed a Down syndrome girl had a baby that was 10 pounds in weight. That little girl was brought down with three other little girl, three girls to, to bury the baby. The little girl didn't know what was going on. One of the other girls gave her a little teddy bear that they had brought with them when they were signed into Besborough. Now, another thing, I, I removed the stereotypical kind of stuff that's out there. I, along with many more, was shoved up to Besborough by a social worker that was known for trafficking. Mm. She was supposed to go in front of the Lafay Commission about the industrial schools and conveniently she 
she disappeared. Okay, well, I can't and go into that without having any other um, information dead, no. available. Dead, no. I know, but it doesn't she's, it doesn't really count if she's dead or not. I mean, I have to be yeah, fair well, to the even the dead. But when you say trafficking, I know you're making the point that money changed hands for the babies. Yeah, yeah, what I'm saying to you is vulnerable girls that were already institutionalized or came from very vulnerable backgrounds were put into these places. I was told... And it's on, it's on my, I have no problem. You can check us. I was told by the social worker, I would be put into independent living and I could go back to education and I could rear my baby. Yeah. No such thing. From the time I got in there and I make no secret of it, and I carried a lot of guilt for years for running away because I left other girls above there, including that 11-year-old. And there was a 14-year-old above there as well. And they told her if she didn't behave herself, they put her up to the mental asylum. Nuns told her that? Yes. Now tell me, you know, we know of the 1950s Ordnance Survey map that says children's burial ground. I refer to that a lot. Um, That's kind of the key focus really as to, you know, what's... uh, Has there been a survey of that ground? Neve Colour did a report... Neve McCullough uh, had done a report on two. Neve McCullough has already made it quite clear. The ground is too sensitive above there. As, uh, and I left to be very straightforward here. The fragments, and people don't realize as well, there are girls, women buried above in Besbra. The little bodies of the, the, the newborns, not to go into the greater detail, would be fragmented. Girls I that see. died yeah. were buried in Besbra. But why are our dead? Why do we have to go to this length for our dead to be acknowledged, for our government to be treated? Our human rights that were tried but, to be back. But during, but yeah, but during your time there, were you ever were you ever present present for the burying of a baby? No, I wasn't. I was present there when they climbed up the top of a girl and broke her pelvis to get the child out. They bled to that. During well, labour. Yeah, during yeah, labour. Yeah, there was no paediatricians above there. There was no gynecologist. You were made walk the walk up the back. And I remember being in the kitchen doing the pots and the older woman there with a black and white picture of her baby boy. And she said to me when I was going up the back, she goes, Catherine, those that are carrying the living, don't walk on the dead. Don't go up there. You think she knew where babies were buried then? She did. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's like this. We're only carving girls, you know. But we're, we, you said there's something about the map. We just, it's not just about the map. I know Gorman and many more. They had babies buried above in Besbra. There's girls born, buried above in Besbra. And they have every right in the children's burial ground. Their graves marked preserve the protectors. But I, I also, I did, re- I did read an article, I think it was an examiner article that on English was quoting the Cork Survivors and Supporters Alliance, right? And they are opposed to the development, That's obviously. Us. Yeah, I know that. And the reason behind it is that, that the remains could be dispersed throughout the site, not in any one particular area. Where the children's burial ground is and the adjoining area, and Neva McCullough said potentially, potentially, it, there's there's a potential for a highly disturbed human remains. 
for there is a potential there for the human remains. That's going to the greater detail of it because I don't want to be disturbing anyone. No, that's okay, but because yeah, it c- keeps coming back to, can there not be some kind of sensitive excavation? No, no, and that will go against. That will go. You see, another thing. Why, Chew, but why do you say no? Are completely different. Chew, they're in a septic tank. Yeah. In Besbra, in the children's burial ground, they would have been wrapped in a shoe, in a in a in a either put into a large box or a potato sack, wrapped up and put down in. The thing is, is that and this is going back from the forties. So you would have you would have spoken with people in there who would have witnessed the uh, orange oh, box yeah. burials. Yes, yes, and look, as well as this, the good sisters, and I will tell you something here now. My mother was raised by the sisters of Marseille. I was raised by the sisters of Marseille, but I can tell you, the Sacred Heart sisters wouldn't get a look in on the sisters of Marseille. Sacred Heart sisters have never once, ever, ever apologized or even tried to help the likes of Anne O'Gorman, which was wrong which was very, very wrong. And others that were looking for their babies. Mm, mm, very wrong. Okay. We talk about Christian, and I'm not, I'm not Catholic, I'm not passionate Catholic church. I'm just saying it how it is. And another thing, there was an awful lot of work done above in Besborough, up the back, just, uh, by a heavy machinery. We had to go up a couple of years ago and stop heavy machinery going up on top of that children's burial ground. Do you call that fair and equal in 2023? After, and we're not looking for pity. Mm. We're, but we were very vulnerable girls. I can't speak for the girls that their parents paid privately for them. I can't. I can only speak for my own. I know, it's, I own. know absolutely. That's why I was keen to finish the conversation properly. And the thing with is, there was a class division. And our girls, a lot of our girls, were shuffled from one institution into another, into another. I was threatened myself with the laundries. But we've been honest about it at the end of the day. We're not looking for pity. And by the way, I've said this publicly already. I do not want any redress for Besbra. I want that ground, that children's burial ground, marked, preserved and protected. Okay, okay. Okay, Catherine, thank you for taking the call again. Uh, Do stay in touch. Catherine Coffey O'Brien. Chat more after the break. You can get involved in the conversation. Text 0868104106. Incidentally, if you have a a story to share that's connected with this topic, but you don't want to come on air, uh, I won't give out people's personal information or details if they don't wish it. You can email neil at redfm.ie. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, um, Anna Gorman joins me by phone. Anne, good morning. Mary Coffey O'Brien there was talking about you on a number of occasions. Can you hear me all right? Anne? Yeah, hello. My apologies. There you are. Sorry about that. It's just a slow line this morning. Apologies for that. Morning, Anne. Morning. Morning. Um, Did you hear me chatting with Mary Coffey O'Brien there? Yeah. Okay. I did. All right. Okay. And and Catherine, she was was talking about uh, some of your own story. My apologies. Catherine Coffey O'Brien. Just just first up, though, you're aware that the the planning's been refused now, although they may well, uh, probably will appeal it. We're talking about a 92-unit residential scheme. It could be up to eight stories high on the site. Yeah, that that uh, I'm right in yeah. that, aren't they? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How could they, uh, knowing that there's 
babies and mothers buried there, how could they be able to even think about it? And including just, I don't mean to be upsetting to you now because I know it's a story you've told many times. Um, your, your baby girl, Evelyn. Evelyn, yeah. Yeah. And you, it's raw. It's very raw still. Yeah. yeah. And do you mind if I just ask you about that? Because you, you went to Besborough at 18, pregnant at 18, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, I, the dates I got back in my, in my files are wrong. But I go with 18. Okay. I know myself, I was 17. Okay. Yeah. But I go with 18. Um, uh, I I went into labour and um, brought down to the labour ward and there was two or three girls there helping the nun deliver the baby. And um, when the baby did come, the baby was just taken away and the nun turned her back and was doing something you know, with the baby and uh, they tried to use the oxygen tank. Yeah. You know, the small oxygen tank and that wasn't working and they used an adult one. But in the meantime, the nun turned around and asked one of the girls to go upstairs and get Nurse Walsh, which she was in her 70s. She was very old Mm. and very cranky. And she came down the stairs and... um, she twisted my stomach, uh, the scars, her fingernails, the marks was left on my stomach afterwards um, to get my afterbirth out. Yeah. And I went unconscious then for three or four days. But when I woke up, uh, there was another nun there. And uh, she said, uh, you know, your little angel has gone to heaven. And um, I was crying. You know, I was frightened and everything. Yeah. And... Um, I went down the corridor to go to the bathroom and uh, I seen the two men. And just before that, the nuns did ask me, did I want to see my little girl? And I said, no, because I was very frightened. And um, the clot of blood was just streaming down me. Mm. And um, uh, I looked out the window and there was two young men carrying an orange box with two shovels, and they walked down the direction of the nuns, you know, down by that way. Uh, there is an area there as you as you walk from the front down along on the left-hand side, which is the nuns' burial ground. That's right, yeah. But I was always made to believe that that's where the babies were buried. And um, I asked, could I go down to know... Uh, a few times down and we were told not to go down it wasn't permitted to go down there Do you believe so, that th- those two men with the orange box and the shovels were carrying your daughter? Oh yes yes yeah because uh, the girls there they were in an awful way as well at the time Do you know they were in an awful way for me like they knew um uh, my little baby, she was underneath the, the colleges, uh, underneath the staircase. That's where they used to put the cases. And that's where my little daughter was when they asked me, did I want to go in and see her? I'd never seen a dead person. No, she was only a child, for God's sake. I mean? yeah, yeah, you were a child from and, um, very sheltered uh, upbringing. Yeah. Even, even up to today, like, you know, the flashbacks, I guess, when they were saying about... Um, uh, 
about the nuns being taken up in June and moved somewhere else. You know, I was thinking of all the little babies. I could see uh, bones, you know, on the top. Dogs coming in on top of their graves, like, and Catherine and Maureen Constantine explained to me, and they're all scattered. The babies' bones are all scattered. And in Besbra, you're saying they're scattered. Yeah. 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 And you'd never get the whole baby back because I have um, a grave in Six Mile Bridge, which for myself and a, a headstone up um, with my daughter's name on it. I was hoping all along to bring her back. But now for the past three or four years, I want her left where she is. I know. And there's mothers there. I think it's 28 mothers that's there. And when I was told that uh, the mothers was there, I said, oh, thank God, they're looking after the little angels there. But, so that, so the, the, a figure of 28 has been put on the amount of young mothers who died and were buried there. I was buried there. Why wouldn't they have been buried with their families, in their by their families? Probably nobody claimed them. You know, going back in time. Because you could going way, way back, couldn't you? To a hundred years. Uh, way, way back. Well, I no, I taught my children, but um, I didn't have a very good life. But uh, I told them about their sister. But I do know what it's like to carry a secret. And you're talking about the adoptive children. And their mothers and everything. That's how we started this conversation, yeah. That's that's what I'm saying. You know, I know what it's like to hold on to a secret and you're not supposed to talk about it because that's who I spoke to that stood by me was Catherine and Maureen. But did you keep it secret for a lot of your life? For a lot of my life. Nobody knew nothing. And it's, isn't it, it's, in, in all of the years that we've been talking about this story, and I've been talking about this since the early 90s, um, isn't it extraordinary that nobody came forward, to my knowledge, anonymously or got in touch, certainly not with me, who buried a baby in Besbra? They might have been elderly in life and they might have said, I need to clear my conscience or I have something to share. I was one of those that carried the orange boxes. Yeah. I know, I, I only said it the other day, it's a wonder one of the two men didn't come forward. Isn't it? Do you know, because my, my, um, my story was on the papers and everything, do you know what I mean? And, you know, you were just left wondering and thinking and uh, there's an awful lot of secrecy around it and there's an awful lot of mothers that can't speak about it and I understand I do understand. You see, um, the numbers don't add up, as as you well know more than anybody. If you had 923 babies born between 1922 and 1998, and there's only burial records for 64 of the 923, then where are yeah. all of the other babies' bodies? I, look, all I know is that my Evelyn is in Besborough. If she was in any other the, the graveyards, Carrot Hill or wherever it to be, I would be there. Do you understand me? Yeah. I would be there because when I heard the nun coming on and saying that no baby died in her care, 
she was on the news yeah. that time when he came out about Bisborough. The report, yeah. And I got mad, you know, and I said, no, I am not going to let anyone take that away from me. And nobody in Limerick knew my story. Nobody in Limerick, but I didn't care. I just came out with it because I want all the little angels looked after and not to be disturbed, you know, and uh, uh, Cedric's brothers and sisters and all, and they're saying that they want the babies up out. Why should they be taken up out of their resting place that they're there for the past 50 years? But you know that nun's burial ground, it's very small, you know? It's tiny, it's not, it's not there. No. It's the whole place from the gate going down along and behind the trees. So they could be, the babies could be dispersed throughout a larger area of the site. A larger, could be, yeah. And and do you think it ever will be built on because planning's been refused even for a smaller project now? No, I I don't. The bigger one was refused in 2021. Now we have a bigger, a smaller one. That's now been refused. Does that give you, does that give you hope? Oh, of course it does. Of course it does. Um, uh, we were there um, in March. We were waiting four and a half hours for the councillors. County council. Council. Yeah. And we were the last. And we didn't even have to speak. But they all, the whole lot of them stood up and clapped us. Amazing. You know, yeah. And said that uh, the Cork County Council, that we could go back to that's our home. You know, because of the angels and everything. Yeah. Do you go down there often? I do. I didn't know for a good while over the cold weather and everything. Yeah. But I'm going back, even before it came out, I was going down and uh, the new convent they built. Uh, myself, my sister and my daughter, my eldest daughter, we went down and just asked questions and everything. And we were pushed away from the door. The door was closed out on us. They thought that we were reporters. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had I have no um, anger in me. Um, I'm coming to the age now that I just want, want to put to rest, put the babies, the angels to peace, you know. Yeah, it's um, it's sad to be still fighting though for that justice and that right, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, Catherine wrote a letter to the Pope for me um, on my behalf and I got back the letter and it brought back I, no, I'm not just saying the Pope but it's what he, he said in the letter he said, surely to God and will have some comfort in knowing that she'll be meeting her or baby Evelyn in heaven. And you know what that done to me? It just, I just started praying to God and everything again. Because the world has gone bad enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Yeah, that, that wasn't a great response, was it? No, but no. still, like, you know, they asked the nuns where was the babies buried, and the nuns still wouldn't tell them. But you saw two men with shovels and an orange with box uh, and an orange box in and around the same time when Evelyn died yeah yeah okay I woke up two days later and that's when they asked me it was two or three days later and they asked me uh, did I want to see Evelyn 
And I said, no. And as far as I know, the, the girls that were still working in the labour work centre and the hospital back, they went down and they said prayers and then the orange box went out. So, the, so she would have gone out in the orange box fairly soon after you said because you were frightened that you didn't want yeah. to see her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I regret, I regret that to this day. But no. you were so young and so innocent. Yeah. And I didn't have anywhere. My mother didn't put me down there. I went to social workers and they brought me down there. So it wasn't my mother, God rest her soul, that put me in there. You know, and she didn't know for till years later that uh, the Megaline story was on um, the radio, on the telly, and I was sitting down with her, and um, I said, your mum, I was in a place like that. And she started crying. Did you slip away from it. home unbeknownst to your mum? I left on. I was working. You told her you were working? Yeah. Away. They have it down in, in my um in my records that uh, I was a housemaid. Yeah. She thought you were working away from home, but I you were actually away. you were going and bigger and bigger pregnancy wise. Yeah, yeah. You you could write a letter and then you give it over to the Reverend Mother and she'd address, you know, whatever way to do it anyway. She'd let on then it was from where you were working. I know, I know. You know. Was your mother very upset when you told her the true story? Oh, she was very upset. She said, and you know, I, I couldn't because I was the eldest of time. And she had us all in steps and stairs, do you know what I mean? And um, she had a, a son that was um, uh, special needs. And I, that was me. I couldn't put it on her. You couldn't burden your mother, yeah. yeah. I couldn't burden her, do you know what I mean? So sad. My, my heart is broken today because I just, you know, I can't sleep at night. My head is just going around and people saying this and saying that rather than doing something positive and putting, putting the rest in this, do you know what I mean? I want to do it for my own family. Well, what, would you well. like, what would you like to see? A memorial stone? No, I, I'd like to see a wall, just a wall around it. A small bench, and maybe a memorial stone, and all all their names, all the little babies' names. Oh, you know, like on a memorial stone, like you say, and just to be taught up there were little people. Do you know what I mean? And is there a record? Does a record exist of the um, nine hundred and well? I, I had a different figure earlier on this morning. I had eight hundred and fifty-six, but. Uh, Catherine was telling me, is there a record existing of the 900 babies who died? Oh, there is. And their there names and their mother's names? Yeah. And they, um, I think it was the examiner. Every, yeah, okay. Okay, thanks for reminding us. So all of the names exist and, and all of the birth mother's names exist. So it would be easy to put together a memorial to all of them. Of course it would. Of course it would. Do you know... I, I just want to see an interest and I'm doing nothing but praying, crying, praying, crying, waking up four or five times a night. For but years? Nothing. Or is that just recently? For, for years. For years, but now it's getting worse. Because I see that uh, 
that Facebook is only a curse. That people are trying to get him to dig it up and they want to excavate it and they want to see uh, what the babies died of and everything. Rather than putting it to rest, we can't change the past. Mm. But we can change the future. So don't disturb it, but put a memorial to it with the names of the babies. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. have it blessed and consecrated. I know. I know. Do you know, like the nuns, the graveyard is blessed and consecrated. Again, I'm, you're not gonna, you're not gonna put nine hundred newborn babies into the size of that small no. nuns graveyard. You just, no. it's impossible. No, it's impossible. Impossible. Must be wider on the site. Must be. Uh, Must be. Of course. And look after yourself. I know it's easy for me to say, but you live with the torture of it all. Yeah. And I hope Thanks that, very much. I hope, we haven't, brought, I hope we haven't overly upset you sharing the story yet again, but no, uh, mind uh, yourself. I'm okay, look. All right, girl. Mind all right, I just get a few moments and then it stops in again. I know. Do you know? Thanks, Anne. Thanks. Thanks very much, Neil. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. bye. Anne O'Gorman, bye. back after the break. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 104 106. We move quite rapidly in some ways in this country, although it took, you know, uh, quite an amount of pushing for decades. But then it happened quite quickly. The birth information and tracing legislation, which was signed into law uh, in the summer of last year, and it helps people to get information and and tracing services. It wasn't always that straightforward. More more on that in a second. But uh, Daisy says, I was a twin. In 1959, my mother already had two boys and she didn't want two more children. Uh, So one twin was given to the nuns for adoption. The nuns gave my mother a death certificate for my twin that was given to the nuns. My whole life I was told my twin died, but I could never find his grave or any records of his death. The story never added up, and if I asked my parents, the subject was quickly avoided, as they couldn't tell me where he was buried. They're both dead now, but I never knew. Uh, I knew he didn't die, but this secret helped to destroy our family. This was an adoption covered up with a death certificate. I was a constant reminder to my mother of what she had done, and I never felt wanted. I wonder how many more children out there didn't die, but were sold by the nuns and the church to rich Americans for the bargain price of, say, £300, says Desi. That is an alarming story. God knows there are so many of them. Um, It's incredible when you read that um, and the impact that it has had on his life. Thank you for sharing, Desi. Text 0868104106. I hope to have a chat with Linda, if not this morning, certainly tomorrow morning. But I know in the past I've had conversations with Tom Walsh, who was one of those who set up an adoption service called Know My Own. Um, and uh, he joins me on the phone. Tom, good morning. Good morning, Neil. And thanks for taking me on. Going, going, going way back, right? Way back. Because you'd have a few years on me now. But way, way back. Um, what what was what was going through people's minds when they knew that there were young girls and not so young girls, so many of them going down to Besbra to give birth, and that uh, you know the nuns reminded them? Did anybody suspect cruelty? No, no, uh, the, the, the cruelty certainly not. And people did think that the everything was being done legitimately, uh, totally above board, and. As per book, so to speak. Because I remember we, as a child, one of the threats from mothers was, if you don't behave, we'll send you to the nuns in Besbra. So there must have been some suspicion. Suspicion, yes. But 
I think it, in general there was a belief that things were looked after properly. Uh, we know no the truth, but that's at the time. And in fact, there was an awful name put on similar girls in Saint Vincent. God knows I passed that enough many times going to the North Mon. You surely did. Yeah. You might have heard the name Penitence. Penitence, yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the girls in St. Vincent's were referred to as Penitence. Yeah. And I recall one time asking my parents, what, what are they penitents for? And I was told to shut up. Yeah, so, it wasn't talked about. But, it wasn't talked about. So, so, so the organization that you invol- got involved with and, and set up, would, would that have helped people who were born in Besbrot to try and find um, their... Were, were, like, were active, were, yes, yes, and were active in the search and were being thwarted left, right and centre by the blackguarding, I, I call it, of, of Besbrot nuns, and I could name one, but I won't. Mm, but the, 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 the way I feel about it is that I have dealt with nuns in the teaching world all my life, and they were straight down the line uh, where records were were to be kept. They were kept meticulously. That's in the teaching world. Now, in the in in Besborough, you had nuns and you had records, and I I, I cannot understand how nobody amongst those ladies kept. A record of burials. Well, we and know we know numbers, all right, but we don't know burial places. Correct, correct. And I, uh, w- within the group, our group is not my own, but within that group, I, I, I won't use names now. But I, I know a lady whose mother gave birth to herself and her brother in Belbra, and the brother died, and the mother was informed that the brother was buried in the designated spot for uh, child burials and so informed by a nun. The commission, the recent commission, eventually found that that particular brother allegedly buried in the, this plot in Bedford was in fact buried up on the cemetery up on top of Cars Hill. Cars Hill, yeah, God. Or yeah. St. Finbars as well, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and nobody has a pop's notion uh, as to who's, as well, who's, where the, yeah. the, the burial happened, and that's not good enough. I mean, to, to be honest, Neil, I might be extreme in putting it this way, but for me, Desborough is Cork's version of Dachau and Auschwitz. That's pretty strong. That's the way I feel about it, because I mean, look, there were nine hundred and thirty-six, I think it is. Uh, deaths happened in Besborough. The circumstances of those deaths would have been suggested in that in law there was a coroner's inquest on each of the deaths. There was no coroner's report of any sort. None. Yeah, 923 um, up to 1998, but only burial yeah. records for 64. That's right, and I find, I find that hard to stomach. Was and was the, all of the, the information? The was all of the records handed over by the nuns at any stage? Uh, they, they can't have been. The, the, the nuns will say they have. I, I I just cannot 
believe that they have simply because the nuns it's 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 almost within their nature if they if they keep records the records are meticulous but why is it in all of the years so many years that nobody has come forward and said i was part of bearing I was part of the burial process. It was my job. Even anonymously, no one has ever come. We've had stories, all right, and people have witnessed. But I can't understand that. I really can't. I, I, I've heard of one individual, uh, I don't know if he gone to God at this stage, but he did tell someone in his family, I think it was, but I did don't tell anyone, please. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can give you the name of a journalist who has done very serious investigation into Besborough mm. mm. and, and has quite a deal of records. By the way, there are, uh, I think there's 10 girls. No, there, there, were more, there, were, uh, there were more than 10 died in childbirth. But there were 10 uh, buried, we presume, somewhere in Desborough because they died in childbirth and their families did not take them back to bury them uh, as the other families did. The, the, so the, what the, kind the, of a society before. was it then? I don't know, that could have been in the 20s or 30s or 40s, I don't know, that a family wouldn't take back a child or daughter who had passed away in childbirth. I mean, what was their I, problem? Uh, from what I can make out, the problem was a, a, a Jansenistic interpretation of religion. And that that uh, suggested that uh, you know that 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 outside marriage was sinful and should be dealt with accordingly. And that's so. They, if they followed uh, that logic, they were actually saying that their daughter was going to hell. Well, yes, that, that that is the logic of it. Yes, unfortunately, it was the, it was society, though, wasn't it? It was the society at the time was was heavily in 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 in, in the control of that's the word of, of of theologians who came up with the stuff that was current, but right now it's thrown out as being rubbish. And, and rightly so. To I mean, religion is fine, and, and one would protect everybody's right to practice their own chosen faith. But it had, ter- it had terrible impacts on families, and certainly in the case of young girls and better. But the birth information and tracing legislation has that not made your work easier now? Uh, it has the potential to do so, but so far, it, it's um, the, the flaws within the legislation itself that have been highlighted by people more directly involved with, with that. But what's hap- what is happening is that if you or I have reason to uh, request information on our uh, circumstances, we're pawned pon- off right now by Tushla or the weather uh, with a, a, a delay as far as, as far off as next October, November, a delay on issuing information. But, ha- but uh, then, there may well be a delay, but a birth mother cannot refuse to have her information disclosed to a child. No. Yeah. But, but the, the, one of the twists in that story is if the birth father's name is on the documentation, uh, the information can't be released. Oh, why is that? That sounds a bit insane. Because, because of this, this 
uh, regulation drafted up in, in Europe. They call it GDPR. Oh, that. GDPR, you would think, wouldn't. Why would it apply yeah. to one parent but not the other? That's the, that's the crazy part. And that thing, that point had been made clearly to Rodrigo Gorman, but he he's quite deaf at times. Okay. But, uh, but fi- just finally, you were giving examples of, of one person that you were helping who was given great help and had everything they needed in 30 minutes and the other was not. So why would there be such disparity between two similar requests? <laughs> I know very well the details of that one. Uh, I, I can make it more clear for you if you want. But the the person looking for the information in each case, in, in the first case, she asked the nun in Belbra and the nun gave her every possible bit of information that we required. Every bit. And her father went to the uh, registry, Joyce House it was, in Dublin, and left Joyce House after about half an hour with all of the information he required to help in tracing the, the adopted daughter's birth mother. Yes. The same man, his second daughter, went and asked for exactly the same information and was told, you know your date of birth. Your mother's name was Patricia. Good day. By a nun. By a nun. Yeah. Does it depend on the nun that you would meet on the day? It was the same nun in each case. That's bizarre. That frustrates frustrates your work no end, doesn't it? It does. And... I I have good reason I, 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 I can go into finer details for that story but I do know that the father in question uh, took four days searching in Joyce House and was helped by the Dublin version of No My Own and uh, an adoption support group in Dublin was helped by them and one way or another they eventually found the record mm-hmm. and uh, the reason that the father missed the record in his initial search was very simple. The records were kept in big ledgers and printed on a kind of rice paper material. Mm. And in turning a page, he accidentally turned two pages. God. And in one, the, the second of the two pages carried the record he was looking for. Oh, my God. Oh my God! You can understand what that. It can be that simple. It can be that simple. Yeah, it took four days. We're out of time for now, but thanks for taking the call, Tom. As always, uh, we'll pick it up in the morning. We'll pick it up in the morning. One point, if I might. Yeah, we cannot understand why the state doesn't compulsorily purchase Belbra and stop these financial the financial deals of building and insulting people who went through the Besborough mess. Just buy it and memorialise it once and for a all. Compu- a compulsory purchase order. Search it by all means then. And the technology for searching is available. I mean, we used that, 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 that same technology to find the body of Thomas Kent up in... In the barracks. Oh my God, of course. Yeah. And, and the technology is available... They cannot say it's not there. It is there. We've used it. And why, in the name of God, they can't just make a search and clarify, yes, there are, or no, there are not bodies. And if there are not bodies, well, then 
you have a different situation. If there are bodies, forget building on it. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for taking the call. Tom Walsh, your lines will stay open. You can text 0868 We'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.